0: to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Welcome to New Books Network. I'm your host Schneer Zalman Newfield. In Poisoned Wells, Accusations, Persecution, and Minorities in Medieval Europe, 1321 to 1422, Published by University of Pennsylvania Press in 2022, Safrir Barzilai explores the origins of the charges of well poisoning leveled at European minorities in the late Middle Ages. Safrir is a senior lecturer in the Department of History at Barilán University. I'm so glad his book has brought him to our program. Welcome.
2: Thank you very much.
1: So to get started, could you please tell us about your background and what led you to write this work?
2: So this work is uh, developed from my uh, Ph.D. project. Uh, And when I was an undergrad student, I uh, started to look uh, at medieval sources about the Black Death. And I was looking for the big book about well-poisoning accusations. And I uh, went to the library and actually looked through the shelves and couldn't find it. Um, and what I did found are a lot of books that mention the persecution of minorities, especially Jews, during the Black Death and mention that uh, well-poisoning accusations mostly against Jews occur. But I didn't find very good explanations. Um, and it kind of, uh, it, it looked very strange because I figured that if this is mentioned in so many books, there must be, medieval sources, primary sources that talk about these things, uh, but no one actually put them together um, into one single explanation that explains not the persecution of Jews and not the social implications of the Black Death, but actually the phenomenon of well-poisoning accusations. And I thought this could be interesting. And um, when I had to write my uh, PhD dissertation, I came back to that. And I, I discovered even more than I originally expected.
1: <laughs> uh, as all good research projects tend to do. So that's great that you, you had this... Uh burning desire to understand more about this phenomenon. Um, Let me ask you, to what extent were well-poisoning accusations, local affairs resulting from particular local contexts, and to what extent were they part of a larger trend in 14th century Europe?
2: So, accusations um, and violence in many ways have to be understood um, in local contexts because uh, acting against minorities is a political action that has uh, very strong political implications. It breaks certain legal privileges. It uh, takes over property. It breaks jurisdiction of uh, certain officials. It's a big deal. Um, And for this to happen, there need to be the political or social circumstances that allows this to happen. Uh, it's very clear to us that if we uh, commit something, uh, an, an act of violence or, or some kind of a very strong public act, um, we can't do it unless there are certain, certain circumstances that allow us to do that. So the idea of well-poisoning is not necessarily local. It moves from one place to another very quickly. But not everywhere that we find find this idea, we also find people willing to act on this idea and persecute minorities based on well-poisoning accusations. And that's the major um, subject of the book. Uh, Not only where can we find the idea of well-poisoning, but where and when people are willing to uh, act violently against minorities based on this idea.
1: Right. And speaking of the geography of these accusations, uh, were there countries in Europe in the 14th century during the period that you explore uh, that never adopted these allegations?
2: Yes. um, There are no well-poisoned accusations as far as I could find in Italy. There are no well-poisoned accusations in Castile. There are very, very few cases in Eastern Europe. Uh, Poland, uh, the Baltic countries, and so on. Um, and there are no cases in England, uh, as far as I can tell. And what I've tried to do is actually map the chronology and the development of the places that did had uh, these accusations, where these ac- accusations did, did develop, and understand why um, they didn't uh, move and, and developed in other areas. Uh for example for England it's it's pretty straightforward. There are lepers there that were accused of well poisoning, but um there are no Jews. So um once the accusations move from lepers to Jews, and we'll speak about it a little more uh I imagine, then um there are no Jews in England uh in the 14th century. They are being expelled in 1290. Um so one of the major minorities that are being accused of well poisoning is simply not there. So the accusations don't develop there. Um, In other areas, uh, they don't adopt the the accusations because they don't have political motivations to do that in Northern Italy, for example. Um, They usually know about the idea. You can usually find literary sources or all kinds of um, um, clues that they know about the idea of well poisoning accusations, but they don't act on it.
1: Right. And you you spend a lot of time talking about the 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 mechanics of these accusations and how they they, uh, got handled. Could you give us a little sense of, and I know that there could be differences in different geographical areas, but could you give us a sense of what these accusations looked like and then what were the consequences, the direct consequences of these accusations?
2: So the first thing that we have to understand is that in most cases, these are not um, in, uh, incidents of uh, popular attacks against minorities. It's not mobs that, you know, um, taking uh, f- um, knives and, and swords and whatever and, and uh, attack the Jewish neighborhood. Usually what, you, uh, what our sources tell us is that there, there are trials. People, people are being uh, arrested, interrogated um, over time they implicate other people. And after that, there is a, an organized trial and a verdict, and then their property is being confiscated and they are being punished. Uh, often they're being executed or sometimes they are expelled. Uh, but there is some kind of an official uh, procedure. Uh, this, this is what historians uh, usually call institutional violence or uh, institutional persecution. Uh, and when I look at this kind of violence, I, I need to try and understand why uh, the uh, institutions that, that um, create this violence um, act in certain circumstances, uh, circumstances. So I look at courts and I look at officials and I see how they make decisions. And these courts and officials have to have uh, political justifications and political reasons to promote well-poisoning accusations or act on well-poisoning accusations, and not uh, not all institutions and not all officials necessarily adopt these accusations.
1: Right. Speaking of which, of the of the officials and the rulers who are promoting these accusations, um, what's your sense in terms of whether these people actually believed the accusations that they were? promoting or were they simply motivated by personal or political gain to kind of fabricate and uh, uh, popularize these accusations?
2: Some I, I imagine that some people uh, were cynical and, and, and used it as a political tool. but I don't think everyone did. Um, for example, one of the uh, major case studies of the book um, goes into the uh, political dynamics, of uh, medieval Strasbourg uh, that persecuted uh, its Jews during the Black Death. But what happens in Strasbourg is that they uh, hear about well-poisoning accusations, and then they start uh, an investigation into the uh, whether uh, um, well-poisoning accusations actually occur. And it takes them six months of investigation. Um, they uh, gather information from um, many different cities all around uh, uh southern Germany of today um and they don't come to a conclusion what eventually happens is that there is a revolt and the people who are uh anti-jewish take the um the uh, take control of the city and execute the Jews but they actually conduct uh, a very long investigation so I think uh, they're actually trying to figure out what's going on uh, and we see the same thing in other uh, thousand cities. Um, some uh, come to the conclusion that the Jews are guilty. Uh, some don't know. Uh, some even reject the accusations. But even in in uh, in cases that they reject the accusations, sometimes some, sometimes they face uh, popular um, uh, hatred towards the Jews, and, and the, they decide to act. Uh, in any case, but in some places they don't. In Regensburg, for example, um, the local Uh, government is able to protect the Jews during the Black Death, despite the accusations.
1: Right. So it seems like there's a real sincere effort on the part of the leaders who are conducting these, uh, these trials and these investigations to actually kind of get at the truth of what's going on, rather than using it just as a political weapon against Jews. At least some of them. Um,
2: but even those who are trying to use it as a political weapon, they can't just blame the Jews or blame lepers and um and be done with that. They have to uh, produce evidence and show that they have justification for what they do the fourteenth the fourteenth century is a century that European institutions uh courts officials um, are becoming very, very dominant. And they, are, they act in certain ways. They have to follow procedure. They have to have justification for what they do. They have to produce documents and place them in archives and, uh, uh, and show them to royal officials and so on and so forth. And when they are trying, even when they are trying to um, create violent reaction or persecution against minorities, they have to follow procedure. Otherwise, they have no Uh, justification to do what they do. And they can uh, themselves face all kinds of consequences that they don't want. So even when they are uh, cynically acting against minorities, they are playing within uh, the boundaries of uh, institutional action.
1: Right. And how did the Catholic popes at the time respond to the well poisoning accusations?
2: So um, there are two interesting cases. Uh, one one is uh, of in 1321. The accusation, I should say, didn't start with the Black Death, but it started in 1321. That is 27 years before uh, the Black Death, the big plague uh, that characterized the the, the mid 14th century, even reached Europe. So the accusations start before. Um, before the Black Death. And one of the major investigators of these accusations uh, in uh, southern France at the time is an inquisitor named uh, Jacques Fournier, who later uh, becomes uh, Pope, Pope Benedict XII. And um, later, uh, uh, when when he is the investigator of the accusations in 1321, he accepts them. He convicts uh, uh, one leper, at least, of involvement in the plot, which means that he uh, acknowledges well poison accusations, but later, towards his career, he uh, writes to uh, to one of, of uh, to a French monk who was uh, involved in the persecution, and he writes to him, "You know what? Today we know that it was false, and and the lepers were not guilty. Uh, so we know that uh, this person changed his mind, and when he was uh, an investigator, then." Had uh, uh, one kind of uh, of, of uh, perspective on these things, and, and uh, years later, as a pope, uh, he changed his mind and, and actually um, understood that, th- that there was no basis for that. And during the Black Death, Pope uh, Clement VI uh, actually um, writes uh, to his bishops uh, three times and tried to get them to uh, convince. Uh, rulers who are not part of the church to stop persecuting the Jews and he basically writes uh, the plague the black Death is um, divine punishment for our uh, sins that the the, the the Christian people's uh, sins uh, this has nothing to do with the Jews we need to keep protecting them as uh, as the Pope has been doing uh, through the most of the of the high Middle ages and he tries. But it doesn't work because there is uh, local dynamics are actually what dictates what's going on. So where uh, where local nobility decides to act against the Jews, the popes, or even if the bishops want to intervene uh, for the Pope, they don't have enough political power to stop this phenomenon.
1: Right. And how were charges of well poisoning leveled against Jews different from the traditional charges against Jews for alleged ritual murder of Christians during the Middle Ages?
2: So um, the accusations, there are uh, the famous blood libels or accusations of uh, ritual murder Uh, Jews uh, allegedly uh, capturing a Christian boy and, and killing him in a ritual way, crucifying him or, or uh, killing him in a way that is part of a ritual. And the second uh, kind of, uh, of uh, uh, common accusations against Jews is the uh, secretion of the host of the Eucharist. Um, these two accusations start before well-poisoned accusations develop and they continue after well-poisoned accusations disappear. In the 15th century and into the 16th century and even later, um, they have a longer lifespan. And I think what's going on here is that these accusations, host desecration and ritual murder, have kind of um, anti-Jewish uh, narrative that is very, very uh, strong and explicit. Uh, it's very clear that the uh, the boy who is allegedly killed. Um, is a representation of Christ and is being crucified like Christ is crucified. And almost, I think, or even all of the uh, ritual murder accusations um, are set uh, during Easter because they signify the crucifixion. And uh, host desecration accusations work on the same kind of narrative. The host represents the body of Christ. So the Jews who desecrate the host are actually Um, uh, crucifying Christ again. So you have this very, very strong um, anti-Jewish narrative, which doesn't uh, exist for well-poisoning accusations. Yes, well-poisoning is a horrible crime. It's a crime against the general public. Uh, It's a crime uh, that has the potential of of acting like a weapon of mass destruction um, in medieval terms. Uh, You can poison, if you poison water sources, you can poison everyone uh, without distinction, but it's a secular crime. It doesn't have this religious symbolism. Um, And therefore I think it is, it doesn't uh, resonate in in medieval memory and in medieval culture the same way. And it's not remembered uh, the same way. So in the 14th century, it's very, very significant and it creates huge destruction uh, for both Jews and other minorities as well. But, um, the, the accusations disappear fairly quickly in the second half of the fourteenth century and in the early fifteenth century and they don't they don't really continue the same way that uh, ritual murder accusations and host desecration accusations continue because they have this basic anti Jewish symbolism at at the at the heart of the uh, of the narrative.
1: Right. And to step back for a moment, what historical shifts were occurring in Europe in the 13th century, uh, the 14th century, um, that contributed to the rise of the well-poisoning accusations?
2: So uh, there are several important things that happened to um, even allow the idea of well-poisoning. So the first thing is... um, great uh, interest in poison in medical literature. So even the idea of using poison uh, on a large scale appears in the second half of the 13th century because the medical knowledge it suddenly is available. And this has to do with the development of the universities and, and the medical texts being translated from Arabic into Latin and new Latin texts that are being written At the time, and these texts also deal with the issue of poison. So, the knowledge of how to commit uh, poisoning is uh, more common. And also, we see that in the criminal level, uh, we see many more poisoning accusations, not uh, mass poisoning, not poisoning of many people, but poisoning of particular uh, people, uh, rulers, people in power um, that that suddenly die. And, and, And as a result, we see a trial against. Uh, 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 people who were uh, blamed for poisoning this ruler who died. So this is also something that we see in the second half of the 14th century and into the 14th century. And the last element that is typical of the th- of the 13th century or the early 14th century is the development of public water systems in cities. So um, in the 12th century and before that, most of the people in the city have their own wells or they have uh, wells that are um joined for for uh for a very few for a few houses around the well but uh as the cities grow um they have to incorporate uh, public water systems and it means that different people drink from the same wells the wells are not uh inside the house or inside the the common yard but they are uh in the streets so now you have a, a public water sources that uh, potential poisoners can, in theory, uh, poison. So in order for well-poisoning accusations to even be um, conceivable, you need to have the medical knowledge to commit poisoning, the idea that some people are being poisoned, and um, the, uh, the reality that many people drink from uh, public water sources that can be poisoned because they are public. Uh, so this is this is what underlies the the early development of well poisoning accusations,
1: right? And were there common fears prevalent at the time that were marshaled to support the well poisoning narrative?
2: I I imagine that that or, or I have evidence that uh, people were
1: um,
2: not very happy with the idea of uh, public water sources. Um, they were not happy to drink, drink water from uh, sources that, that they didn't have control over. But I should also mention uh, the marginalization of minorities. So um, with the development of medical literature, the fear of lepers, for example, uh, becomes much more prominent. Suddenly people uh, are much uh, more cautious when they interact with lepers. And city governments are much more careful to segregate the leopards and make sure that they don't enter the city that often and they don't use public water sources. Uh, and this is true, especially in France or in southern France where the accusations uh, began. So one side is that you have the environmental or political conditions. And the other side is that there is, a, there is this fear of minorities and, and the idea that minorities could be dangerous and leopards in particular. Uh, so that's that's the other side that uh, of what allows the accusations to develop,
1: right? And so you touched on this before, but who were the first people who were actually accused of well poisoning in France and Aragon in thirteen twenty one?
2: So the accusations actually start with lepers. They uh, for the first few months uh, in thirteen uh, twenty one, from April to mid June, uh, for two and a half months. The only people to be accused of whale poisoning are the lepers of uh, southwestern France and Aragon, um, and Jews are not, uh, are not part of the story. Uh, the, the lepers are being arrested, interrogated, put on trial, executed, their uh, property confiscated, and Jews are not part of the story for these first uh, couple of months. And the story actually develops around lepers and around their disease and around the fear that the lepers might poison the population. And when we think about it, we can understand how the fear that someone is uh, infectious and and their disease is very dangerous and and can uh, contaminate uh, water sources, for example, uh, can, with a little push, uh, be uh, developed into the idea of uh, mass poisoning. And uh, really the first well poison accusations are focused on leprosy in particular. Um, the lepers are accused of spreading leprosy, uh, not common disease, not poison in general, but they're trying to, uh, cause the general public, um, uh, to, to contract leprosy. So that's the, the, the kernel of the accusations from, uh, that's where they start. And later they're being transferred, uh, to Jews and other minorities as well.
1: Uh, but what? Who promoted these allegations against the lepers and why?
2: So I think that the major agents that promote the accusations against lepers are city councils and, and local mobility of southwestern France. And I think that because in the years that precede 1321, we see that city councils are constantly trying to push lepers outside of the city and take control of the administration of leper houses administration, and and, uh, property of leper houses. And they're actually uh, approaching the king, King Philip V, and ask him to give them control of the leper houses around their cities. And the king pretty much ignores them. And then they come up with the idea of well posing accusations as a political leverage to force the king to basically give them uh, what they want, and and it succeeds. They uh, create these accusations and they start arresting lepers and putting them on trial. And they basically report to the king after the fact. They say, "Okay, we arrested the lepers, they poisoned wells. And they also send the king uh, confessions that they extracted from lepers, I I, uh, assume under torture or or threat of torture. And they basically present the king with, with a done deal. They're already arrested the lepers. They already forced them to confess. Now the king only has to uh, acknowledge uh, the accusations. And, and that's th- that. what actually happens.
1: Right. And how did accusations of well poisoning shift in 1321 from blaming lepers to Jews and then also Muslims?
2: So what is interesting is that um, in the center of the accusations where where they start and then where they are most common in, in southwestern France, Jews are never, are never uh, implicated. But in northern, in central and northern France, um, the nobility uses the accusations um, as a leverage to get rid of the Jews. What we should uh, know about the Jews of France is that the Jews of France are being expelled from the kingdom in 1306, all of the Jews, And uh, some Jews, we don't know how many, maybe a third of the Jews that were expelled in 1306 are being uh, allowed to return to the country in 1315. That is six years before uh, well-poisoned accusations appear. And since the time they return, we see that local nobility, um, especially in, in northern France, are not very happy uh, to receive them back and we see violent incidents and complaints to the king uh, why, why did you allow these people to return and I think what happens is that after the, the lepers are only, already been uh, accused of well poisoning and, and convicted and the king acknowledges the accusations um, then some nobles of central France see an opportunity to use these accusations that the king had already acknowledged as a political leverage against the Jews. And then they take the uh, the narrative, the accusations that developed uh, against lepers, and they insert the Jews into the story. Uh, and and it looks very artificial because there is a complete story about the lepers and how they got the poison. And here uh, the Muslims go, uh, get into the story because uh, the, the source of the poison is allegedly from the Muslims of, of Granada, of the Muslim kingdom, of uh, Granada in in southern uh, Spain of today. And uh, the Muslims actually entered the story before the Jews, but there are no Muslims in France uh, that suffer uh, uh, persecution because there are no Muslims in France. Uh, But the Muslims are being uh, uh, added to the story uh, to create a conspiracy story in which the uh, lepers are conspiring with the great enemies of Christianity, which are the Muslims. Uh, So this story is created and completed and being used to persecute lepers before the Jews are even um, uh, being accused of anything. And after this story already exists, then uh, the nobility of central France uses it to implicate Jews, and they say, okay, so the Jews were a middleman between the Muslims and the lepers. Why... um, why was such a middleman or uh, uh, why, why did this element uh, needed uh, for the original story? It wasn't, it, it wasn't integral to the story. It was added in order to implicate the Jews.
0: slash nbn50 to get 50% off.
1: Right, so you're saying it seemed, like at least in hindsight, the story seems a little bit thin. It's a little bit, uh, uh, not especially convincing in terms of how the pieces of this this alleged uh, plot actually fit together.
2: Yes, and what we usually get when you read a chronicle, when you read a medieval account, is the report in hindsight, like the chronicler, the chronicler already knows how the story ends. He knows that the Jews were being persecuted and the lepers were be, being persecuted, and he's already convinced of the story because he uh, looks at the story after things are already over. Uh, but what I, I try to do uh, in the book is look for documents uh, that uh, are written or created during the time that the persecution happens court records, official correspondence that was created during the time that the accusations were still forming. Um, so the narrative is not yet completed. And when you do that, you can see uh, where things started and what was added later. And that's how, that's how I know that, that the Jews were only accused uh, later. And I know that they were not part of the original narrative.
1: Right, and with the reemergence of accusations of well poisoning during the Black Death in 1348, who were the initial targets of these accusations?
2: So the accusations appear again in uh, southern France and Aragon, where you would expect, because these are the areas that have a history of well poisoning accusations. The idea is there. However, the Jews are no longer there because the Jews. Of southern France are, uh, or, or France in general, are uh, either being expelled or they uh, flee, uh, flee the kingdom after 1321. So there are no Jews in France. Uh, the lepers, many of them, were persecuted in 1321. Many were executed; uh, others uh, were enclosed in their houses. So the lepers are no longer a major minority in uh, in France in 1348. So the accusation actually uh, um, is turned against uh, marginalized Christians, uh, vagabonds, um, beggars, people who are on the margins of society and they don't have a high social status. No one knows them and they are being perceived as the the, the suspect of poisoning. And we should also... um, keep in mind that the Black Death is a disease uh, that is unprecedented. It kills many, many people very, very quickly. It doesn't look like any other uh, familiar uh, disease. So suddenly the idea of mass poisoning actually makes sense. Uh, So if the Black Death didn't appear in Europe, and here I speculate that the good historians should not do, but I'll give it a try anyway. I think uh, if it wasn't for the historical coincidence that the Black Death appeared not very long, 27 years after the first wave of well poison accusations, we wouldn't have a second wave. The accusations would just disappear because, as Benedict XII, uh, uh, for example, said, it turned out that, that the lepers were not guilty and the Jews were no longer there. So there was no reason for the accusation to appear. And they actually looked. Uh, um like they didn't make so much sense and people just ignored them for 27 years and if it wasn't for the black death for this new disease that no one knew and was devastating and, and created um, major social shifts in a very short time no one would uh, return to this idea of world well poisoning but um history sometimes uh is 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 driven forward by by coincidences
1: sure Um, And uh, what was the political situation in German-speaking lands during this period, and how did it impact the spread of well-poisoning accusations?
2: So I mentioned uh, um, earlier that well-poisoning accusations uh, are dependent on certain uh, political situations, social situations. And one of the things that uh, makes... uh, um, Social uh, that make well in accusations or many kinds of accusations actually to be uh, accepted or or being uh, promoted or be promoted is social uh, and political instability. Uh, Once you have different parties or different groups that are uh, are fighting for power or or in political um, struggle, one group is going to try and take these accusations and use use them. Against the other group, and what we see in many cities of Germany is that you have uh, uh, you have urban government and you have an opposition, and in many uh, cases the urban government would try to protect the Jews, so automatically the opposition oh, the opposition would uh, take well poisoned accusations and try to use them as a leverage against the government. And and uh, claim that the gro- government is corrupt because everybody knows that the Jews poison the wells, and how can the government protect them? And you can you can imagine the rest. Um, and one of the reasons, as we see that so often in the German Empire, is that the German Empire is very very uh, um, is is actually very very uh, disjointed or or created of very very different political. Entities. There are cities that are uh, almost independent or very much autonomous. There are areas that are ruled by bishops. There are areas that are uh, ruled by local prin- uh, uh, princes or, uh, or uh, uh, nobles. There are all kinds of political constellations. And in, different, in each and every one of these areas, there is a power struggle of who controls this city or this little area. And these political uh, struggles are actually uh, what um, creates the situation in which, there are many, in which there are many, many parties or political actors that want to use well-poisoned accusations as leverage, and, and they do that. And in many cases, that's how the accusations uh, spread.
1: Right. And um, why did the accusations of well-poisoning begin to peter out in the 15th century?
2: So there are several reasons. One, the, the most obvious reason is that the Black Death doesn't disappear. Uh, the Black Death uh, recurs in European cities every decade or so after the first outbreak of 1348 to 1350. So in every European city um, after a generation of two or two after the Black Death, people see that the, uh, the plague returns. And it doesn't matter if they expel the Jews or kill the Jews or other minorities, or even converts, or other minorities that are being accused of well-poisoning, it doesn't matter if they expel them, if they're no longer there, the plague returns. So the basic narrative of well-poisoning is actually being refuted by by reality, by, by medical reality. Um, the other issue is, as I said, um, well poison accusations don't have this uh, symbolic um, narrative at their base. So for um, host desecration and and uh and ritual murder accusations there are mechanisms of memory that are being put in place uh so the the uh children who were allegedly uh murdered by jews are instantly becoming saints and there are churches built to commemorate them and there is art created uh, so people will remember them and we have um we have paintings and we have songs and we have all kinds of mechanisms of, uh, of communicating the memory of the saints that are being associated with ritual murder. And in case of host desecration, the, the, the desecrated hosts are becoming um, an object of, of, um, of religious devotion and, and they are becoming uh, uh, basically relics and they are presented in churches and they are being presented during a holiday called the Corpus Christi Uh, where the host is is taken through the streets. And all of these mechanisms are mechanisms of memory. People go to church, they see these paintings, they know about the saint day, they see the the procession with the host going through the street. Well, poison accusations don't have that. And once they don't make sense uh, from a medical point of view and from political point of view, uh, they don't have these religious mechanisms of memory to keep them alive and and, um, they, they disappear because people don't have um, something that reminds them of well-poisoning accusations. So it's not that people completely forget about the idea. If you read uh, history books or you read popular literature, you can find mentions of well-poisoning here and there, but they don't develop into actual persecution. They don't have um, the, uh, the cultural or social force to actually uh, create uh, new uh, new waves of persecution or violence,
1: right? And um, I, I'm I'm curious. Your your book, um, you know, is a real uh, uh, in-depth analysis of a particular uh, period in, in medieval um, European history and how um, you know these accusations against various religious minorities, including Jews, um, were, were, uh, developed over, you know, a period of time. Um, I'm curious how you see, uh, the relationship between your study, this kind of particular, um, uh, uh, sort of micro study of, of this, um, you know, one issue of, of well poisoning, how you see its relationship with the, the, a broader contemporary discourse around anti-Semitism. And in particular, um, I, as as you know, there's uh, among uh, some Jews, and including I think some Jewish historians, there's a narrative that throughout Jewish history, uh, non-Jews persecuted Jews. And it's interesting, we're, we're uh, doing this interview during the, the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, which of course is a commemoration of uh, uh, a struggle between Jews and the um, Hellenized, uh, you know, uh, Greek uh, non-Jews um, in ancient times. So, anyway, I think that there's a there's a discourse within uh, at least some segments of the Jewish community that looks at at at, at uh, all of Jewish history as a kind of continuation of persecution, against, specifically against Jews. And I'm wondering how you see your own study um, in relation to this broader contemporary discourse.
2: So this, this discourse, uh, it doesn't come from uh, uh, without, without uh, background. It's very, very clear that the major victims of well-poisoned accusations were Jews. Uh, Even more than than lepers, because there are more Jews than lepers, but more than Muslims, more than uh, marginalized Christians, the majority of victims were Jews. Um, But if we actually want to understand why certain things happened in certain periods and not in others, for example, why the idea of well-poisoning accusations uh, disappear, then the general narrative that the Jews are always Uh, be, uh, be blamed for any disaster doesn't really help us there were always disasters there were always environmental disasters bad things always happened but not everywhere the Jews were persecuted and not everywhere the same stories developed or the same ideas developed the same social phenomenon developed the same institutions developed if we looked at uh all of history or all of Jewish history, and we say this is basically the same thing over and over and over again, then um, it's very difficult to explain why this uh, thing that happens over and over again uh, doesn't happen in certain places or certain times or certain circumstances. And this is what I think historians are trying to do. Uh, We are trying to understand why some things sometimes happened and sometimes didn't happen. That's, I think, the basic definition of, of history. And I think very, very broad explanations don't actually explain particular phenomena. Uh, and this is why I, um, I, do not, I I don't deny that there was a Jewish Christian tension that was very, very important for the way things developed. But I think this te- tension um, was manifested in different ways in different situations. And this is what I was trying to highlight.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, as as a reader of your book, I was really struck that this um, uh, narrative of well poisoning, which I always heard in, in association with Jews, you know, that Jews were accused of being well poisoners in in medieval times, that uh, it turned out, as you note, that the first people who were accused of well poisoning were actually Christian lepers. It had nothing to do with Judaism. And there were even uh, uh, mendicants or, you know, Christian um, religious, uh, um, you know, orders, uh, members of these Christian religious orders were sometimes accused of the well poisoning, that this was as you know, essentially, uh, much more a, a story of the persecution of minorities, including Jews, but minorities within various kinds of power struggles in medieval Europe, rather than purely uh, a, a, an attack against Jews.
2: I, I think for some
1: uh, for some
2: phenomenon, the idea of Jews in the center works very well if you're trying to explain. Uh, uh, the development of uh, ritual murder accusations, then yes, you need to think about choosing Christians as the main way to explain what's going on. For other phenomena, not not so much. It doesn't work very well for well accusations, and that has been part of the problem uh, of explaining. This this very strange uh, uh, idea or this this very strange development, and actually this week uh, a new book was published uh, by a colleague of mine, Ron Doring, that look at uh, the at uh, medieval expulsions, and he doesn't look only at uh, expulsions of Jews. He looks at expulsions of different Christian's uh, um, groups and minorities uh, from cities all over Europe. And he uh, presents very, very different ideas about expulsions and how they work because he uh, changes the perspective from looking only at Jews, looking at uh, all kinds of groups in medieval society. And it turns out that many, many, many of the medieval expulsions were not expulsions of Jews. And maybe this phenomenon also did not develop around Jews, but uh, around uh, other minorities in medieval society. So um I'm I'm not alone in in uh in this historical perspective.
1: Yeah, I I think it's interesting that there's a famous line from the Jewish historian Salo Baron who said, who criticized what he called the lacrimose view of Jewish history. The you know, lacrimose from from tears meaning a a very sad a view of Jewish history that it's just one pogrom, one you know uh, terrible tragedy against Jews, followed by another. And I think that one way of 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 kind of reinterpreting Jewish history or or contextualizing Jewish history is to say it's not that Jewish history is lacrimose, it's that human history is lacrimose. In other words, many terrible things are happening to many people, and if you take a, you know, a purely Jewish perspective, you know, and you, you, you narrow the focus, so you're only looking at Jews, you say, oh, wow well, wow, in fact, there was this terrible thing that happened to Jews in this country, and then, you know, 50 or 100 years later, there's a terrible thing happening to Jews in another country, and on and on, oh, wow, Jewish history is just, you know, one uh, 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 train wreck. But if you look at human history more broadly, you say, oh, yeah, Various people get persecuted, and especially minorities in a, a majority dominated society, uh, they're uh, you know, often uh, persecuted for various yeah, reasons.
2: You can say the whole, the whole thing is a train wreck, but another way to look at it is, is focus on, on the local and on uh, everyday activities. So when you look at uh, one violent episode after the other, then you really get this picture and, and you can get this picture for Jews and you can get that for other minorities as well. But for example, there are 27 years between 1321 and 1348 that the idea of well-poisoned accusations is out there. People know that uh, lepers and Jews have been persecuted for well-poisoned accusations and they don't do anything about it. Um, that's also part of history. Something didn't happen. The idea was there and no violence has, has happened. And this also calls for historical explanation. And if we only highlight the violence or the action, then we get uh, a distorted uh, view of, of history. And I think this is what, what, one of Baron's major points, that we need to consider uh, what happened, but also what didn't happen. And we have to consider everyday reality as part of history. Uh, people lived, people coexisted, and this is also part of the story.
1: Sure, absolutely, and I have to say, as a sociologist reading your history book, uh, one uh, one thing that struck me is that essentially these well poisoning accusations were a medieval form of a conspiracy theory. They uh, came up with this, you know, very sort of fantastical idea of lepers or or, or Jews or other, um, you know, uh, minorities, um, you know, who are at the heart of some, you know, nefarious plot, you know. And I'm curious um, if you see any insights from your book's analysis in relation to contemporary uh, um, discussions around conspiracy theories and especially why they why they, you know, spring up, and why sometimes they they they're very successful at spreading, and and being adopted, uh, by you know many people in the society. I, I think what
2: historians have to contribute to this discussion is through the understanding that you can't uh, analyze or understand the narrative, and I and I treat conspiracy theory as a narrative as a story. Without understanding the society in which it is created and and um, and, and acts and, and creates social uh, violence or or social change, and so if you want to understand conspiracy theory, you have to look at. Uh, all kinds of other things that are going on in, in this society. So I I had to look at institutions and I had to look at how minorities are being treated and I had to look at medical literature and I had to look at all kinds of things that that don't seem uh, to uh, connect directly to well-poisoned accusations but allow me to understand uh, medieval society and maybe try to get at how medieval people think. So when we try to analyze conspiracy theories, no matter in which society, we have to look at this society and understand its basic uh, tensions and basic political tensions, its institutions, the fears that people may have because of their everyday reality. And that's what can allow us to understand conspiracy conspiracy, conspiracy, uh, theories that usually appear in times of crisis. If we want to understand the crisis, we have to look at the longer historical reality and the everyday reality and the basic political
1: reality. Right. And all right, so here is the last question. There's a lot to talk about your book, but we're going to run out of time. So here's uh, one last question. I'm wondering what you hope readers take away from your book.
2: Uh, that's that's a big question. <laughs> um, I, I think what I want to um, people to take from my book is to understand that medieval society is extremely complicated. It's not less complicated than our society. Uh, Medieval people were not crazy. They were not stupid. They had different interests and different ideas and different uh, um, realities that they were considering. And if we want to understand medieval society and we want to understand how ideas turned into actions, we can't just assume that people had an idea, and they acted on it. We have to analyze the way they accept uh, decisions, the, the way we would analyze um, modern decision-making. Uh, so with careful and with consideration uh, of, of the sophistication of these people, and that not everyone had the same interests and the same ideas and, and even the same personal character. So we have to look at different people and treat them um with historical respect with uh understanding that they are not less sophisticated than us um so that if i have to um to point to one thing that would be it
1: okay very very well well um uh thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us today my pleasure thank you that that concludes our program thanks for listening and have a great day